Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. As we hinted during our last podcast, we are indeed back in lockdown. We're locked in. So sad. Just us in lockdown. Just us. Yeah, only us. For now. It is, in fact, a very bizarre turn of events in Ottawa where we hit what we're calling the red zone. If any listeners from out of town, just obviously it's like red is worse than orange and worse than green and gray for some reason is the worst. So we're in the red zone, which for cinemas is very bleak. The quote online on the rule book is something like, all cinemas must close and cease all operations. Restaurants were supposed to go down to either takeout only or five or 10 people, depending on the size of the place. The restaurant organization managed to cause a fuss and got it put back up to 50 people per restaurant, depending on the size, or I guess up to 50 people. So then the Mayfair being, sadly, the last independent cinema standing in the city, the only one, Bytown's gone. Years ago, there was many others. So... I could be wrong in this statement, but I'm fairly certain that the Mayfair is the only independent business on full lockdown at the moment, which is March 23rd, 2021. The multiplexes are also closed down, but whether it be dentists or gyms or coffee shops or restaurants or bookstores, everybody else is open in some capacity except for us. So it's pretty weird. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. We can't even leave Andrew selling popcorn alone. They won't even let us do that, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe probably shouldn't do that anyway, I guess. It's not really fair to Andrew, but still. <laughs> I could just sit there and have my computer and my coffee and, hey, you want a popcorn? Sure. You could be there right now, like, recording this podcast the way we're doing it, frankly. It could be like a popcorn speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got the window, too. He could just crack that window open and just toss the corn out, reach out for the, the money and stuff. I don't know. That's a bad idea. With a big, long claw. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Well, it's strange, too, because some people have asked when it was, briefly, that restaurants were allowed to have in 10 people. Some people asked, oh, well, if we're throwing money around, if we have the money to spare and we want to have a screening for 10 or less of our friends, can we rent the place? So I phoned the powers that be, and I just got a very stern response saying, no, all cinemas must be closed. And I tried to rephrase it, and they were like, no, all cinemas must be closed. So they're not having it. I'm sure that's like much safer than you know a patio with 50 people, but what are you going to do? Yeah, and that's the big frustration is that I'm very... I just don't want to cause a fuss in that these are very serious times. We want to run our business. We want our community to be watching movies. But at the same time, you look at the news, and even though it's not as bad here as in other places, it's still bad. The coast-to-coast numbers are over 20,000 deaths. Down in the States, which isn't that far from us, is 500,000 deaths. So when you get dreary and horrible thoughts like that, you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. We'll soldier through. But you can't help but look around and be like, well, there's patios within walking distance of the Mayfair packed with people and we're not allowed to be open. So either shouldn't it be we should all hunker down or yeah, we'll let you open too because it makes as much sense as anything else nowadays. There's a patio directly attached to the Mayfair even. <laughs> like, not not yeah. that that has anything to do with anything, but still. Which probably as we speak or soon, later this afternoon, this evening, we'll probably have a dozen people sitting on it. So yeah, it's very bizarre. It's very weird. It's hard to have things be safe and fair at the same time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, logic dictates that I think the reason why 
I mean, New Zealand is a much smaller place than many other countries. New Zealand could fit into a tiny portion of Canada. But I think the reason why New Zealand and other countries as such are doing so well is they took it really seriously. And they really locked her down, didn't let anybody in, didn't let anybody out. And they're steps in front of us. They're miles ahead of us. We know that world is out there, but it's just frustrating right now to think that we passed the year mark and there would be some logic to, oh, we passed the year mark. Everything's moving ahead. And we're like, oh, no, we're locked down again. Yeah, it seems like every, well, I was going to say every day, but to be fair, it feels like every week there's a new weird curveball that we have to deal with. Yeah, and like today we had thought just for following the rules but for fun to get out of the house and there's always an excuse to be in the mayfair letters to get or phone calls to answer but we thought today we would be in house because strangely in the rule books again it says like a cinema can host media recordings or band rehearsals so it can host two things we never do usually so but should but should yeah so now it's, now it's like yeah let's have bands in there what reminds you is that it's out there is that Eric is now fine, but in potential lockdown because on his outer circle, there might be a positive test there somewhere. Yeah, and my work is taking it seriously, which is good. I mean, well, I guess, you know, you're also taking it seriously, but, yeah. uh, you know, they've been really uh, thorough with it, which is nice. It's still kind of like, it's jarring. There's nothing, especially when you know you're like, okay, it's really nothing. There's, I know we're just trying to look out for the best interest and stuff, but I'm fine. I'm fine. But it's it's heartening, at least, that they're taking it seriously for what it's worth. Yeah, and people take notice. People are angry, shockingly enough, especially on social media. And the Mayfair's never been in the style of getting angry. And, you know, it might sound very poetic or hokey, but it's just kind of like we put out goodwill and we get back goodwill. And that's been proven over and over again, whether it be with filmmakers and festivals and distributors taking care of us, all this kind of stuff. We're blessed in that sense. And so we didn't hit the internet angry. We weren't storming City Hall with protest signs or anything like that. But we just put out, well, this is strange. Uh, Can we open up again if restaurants are? And very nicely, we heard back from our city councilor pretty fast. And they said, there's not much you can do from a certain point, but that they contacted the province on our behalf and they're going to keep us posted. The real harsh reality is all signs point towards we are probably headed towards that dreaded gray zone before we're back to a green zone anytime soon yeah so we'll see but yeah that's all we can do right now and it's funny because people are asking about rentals and stuff somebody i just replied to an email about somebody wanting to rent the place if we are back to host an oscar party for 20 people a very small thing and i said well the only problem there is if we're back even in this limited capacity We're hoping, and we've had examples of this, of having 50 people or 40 to 50 people for the 6 o'clock show and then for the 9 o'clock show when we're screening stuff like Army of Darkness or 2001 or whatever, or Memories of Murder. So we can't give a discount because we could make over a thousand bucks in those two screening slots. And if you're renting the place for the Oscars, it's taking up those two screening slots So we'd have to charge you a very hefty fee. They understood, but it's like, yeah, we can't just rent the place for nothing because we're hoping to still get in 40 people who all buy 40 bags of popcorn and then we have a good day. So it's still in this weird area for profitability at the moment. 
and people still want to buy the $50 bag of popcorn that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is I'm like, how even, how big would that even be? It would just be like bigger than a garbage bag. I feel like. I keep telling people that not to not take this seriously, but we are clinging to existence. We're still here. That is nice to want to throw some popcorn money at us, but hopefully we'll be back sooner than later. And really we'll need your money then because we'll be back to, buying supplies and having employees and all that kind of stuff. So when we're back to that state, that's when you come and buy 10 bags of popcorn from us. So I keep telling people that, like, if things get super dire, we'll let you know. But for right now, just get ready to come back and spend money soon, hopefully. Yeah, once we need to pay Andrew again, then we're going to need you to come pay (laughs) for all the popcorn. (laughs) Andrew gets the big bucks. That man's not cheap. But we are all checking in from three different spots in Ottawa. I'm in the Glebe, not too far from the Mayfair. Bike ride's fast. Bike ride's like eight minutes, maybe a 20-minute walk between my house and the Mayfair. I'm in Serbia. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Andrew is in what, it's so funny, but what was once upon a time suburbia, now there's three more suburbias past where you are. What's your neighborhood like, Andrew? Are people being good or are they... It's Yeah, it's very, very quiet. I'm close to like a lot of stores, but it's, you know... It is suburbia. People seem to be doing the right thing. It's not being in the Byward Market or anything. Not to like... <laughs> yeah. ...gate <laughs> on the yeah. Byward Market, but it's not like crowded or anything. From Andrew's basement with his periscope, he can see everyone <laughs> behaving themselves outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not to point fingers at the Byward Market, but I've heard horror stories about the Byward Market. Of Like a friend of mine passed through for some reason. He was running errands. He was picking something up. Just looking around, he was like, I got to get out of here. He said it was just too many people and not enough masks. And it was just people thinking we were through this. It's still, that's still out there where you want to see the good, but then you see that one bit of bad and you're like, oh, that's why we're still here. Yeah. At my wife's work, I guess everyone at the office was sort of laughing off the scare that happened. And, you know, everyone and the rest of us were like, are are we the only (laughs) ones taking it seriously? Like, even though it's. I don't know. It was very, I called public health about it, but it was just, it was literally the interaction was, at the time we thought it was like five minutes or less, six feet apart, masked. But then it turned out that actually it wasn't a person to person interaction. It was the person she works with was in the empty office of someone who is now infected and hadn't mentioned that. So they were like, okay, so you came into contact with an office you know like it's like that dirty office yeah so if i'd known that i wouldn't have been as as concerned either but it was just kind of strange is the office gonna get a test i don't know like how does that even work the whole thing is kind of bizarre i'm just like well i don't know i'm not gonna not take it seriously even if it is just me versus an empty room i guess <laughs> yeah i've been lucky I've, i haven't had any close calls and i think just to covid brag i think it's just because everyone i'm around is taking this seriously there's a number of stories like that where friends friends or friends workplaces extended things it's all those kind of things and just remind you that it's out there everybody has like a story of like a friend of a friend or a co-worker's boyfriend or something like that that it's still it's still creeping around we don't quite have that feel of the disaster movie anymore or i don't anyhow but i think it's just because we've hit normalcy with it but It's funny to think that a year ago, it just felt like the end of the world. And now the end of the world has somewhat happened, but we're all still here and kind of like wearing masks and watching. Like I watched last night's Tonight Show was their first one back in studio, but it was like kind of Mayfair style where 
they were only allowed to have 50 people in the audience and they're all like spaced out like they're all on drugs you mean or they're all yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh this is so funny <laughs> and like the band was only there partially and the crew is all wearing masks and everything and so it's strange it just quest love alone he's like we can't get the full roots we just got the drummer i think it was five or six roots where normally it's eight or ten maybe even i think <laughs> oh, man. so that was whittled down and then there was nothing in the term of you know no sketches no anything like that one of the guests was still checking in from los angeles via zoom another guest was in person but it was like one guest sitting on a couch six feet away from jimmy so all the signs are still there where it's like oh it's so nice to see one step back towards normalcy on this talk show but it's not like backpack he doesn't have 400 people in the audience he doesn't have a full band he doesn't have four people sitting on a couch all that kind of stuff so that's going to be the next i don't know six months year hopefully less maybe but i'd still keep my distance from jimmy fallon on a non-pandemic situation (laughs) (laughs) six feet's not enough and yeah besides for that we're just kind of doing a lot of media still i did an interview and it's funny i wasn't quite sure who it was for because it was a freelance writer i believe but it popped up on Uprox, so that's out there now. And it's funny, I was looking for the link just to share it with Mayfairland, and, you know, it's that age-old thing of do not read the talkbacks. And I didn't even even look at talkbacks for the Mayfair. It was just general. Like, my eye, while I was scrolling through the Uprox Facebook page, it scrolled past, like, you know, a thing about a comedian or a thing about a movie or a thing about the Snyder Cut. And just the anger. I'm always fascinated about maybe now people have more hours in the day than normal, but just why bother? You're not going to change anyone's mind. You're not going to make a Republican go, you know, you're right, and switch over. So, yeah, so I didn't look at any talkbacks. I think Mayfair is fairly safe. I imagine in that article there might be some people saying, no, you should all be closed. What are you doing? I'm applying for this. I wish I had more notice, but I got notice that there's this reality show or contest show coming up where the theme is like a helping businesses post COVID or during COVID. If you're an independent business, you can apply. And I don't know, you get something like I, I don't know if it's like a business makeover, but you get something for being on the show. So I'm applying for that just for the heck of it would be fun. But it's again, all these questions you can't answer because they're like, when can we shoot? I'm like, well, I hope we'll be open then. So we'll be screening movies maybe, but who knows? We can pretend. We can like make like we're showing a movie just to win this contest or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. I've already lost understanding of what the thing is, but if they give us some free stuff, I'm here for it. I think it's supposed to be like a show, you know, imagine like a show on the Travel Channel or something like that where a host comes and goes, here's a small business and here's their history and here's the bad year they've had and now here's what they're doing coming out of it. So I think that's kind of the pitch of the show. And it said something about hosted by a famous Canadian celebrity. Oh. And I'm like, I wonder what that means. On a sliding scale of famous Canadian celebrity, is yeah. it someone from Shit's Creek? Is it William Shatner? I don't know. Like it's That was the first one I thought of, but I feel like they can't afford him and Probably not. Also like, you know, he sleepwalks through a lot of stuff like this, but I don't know about even him at 90, I don't think he's going to have the tolerance for that. Yeah, it's funny. He just turned 90 and he's one of those examples of I love him cuz of Star Trek and everything. But anytime I hear about him yelling online, I'm just like, oh, maybe you shouldn't be online right now. Oh, he's also been old forever. Yeah. Old man yells at cloud. (laughs) (laughs) He's the original. Yeah, it is what it is. I've made my peace with him. He's probably not the most chill guy to have a beer with, just being like someone at my social status and him being at his. But I can still enjoy his content. Well, Lee was joking about, it was right before we went into lockdown. And so we were still making plans and 
we're kind of in this rotation now and there's no shortage it seems of two audible premieres and then two retro movies so as we speak we should have been screening stray a documentary mrs lowry and son a artistic biopic and then heavy metal and wild at heart so that should have been this week so we were talking about other stuff we could do we thought it'd be fun to do a monty python movie spread them out don't really do a festival but do like one a month for four months maybe some clint eastwood stuff you know show a dirty harry show unforgiven stuff like that not really festivals we have an excuse to kind of show a bunch of cool old stuff and lee had said he recently watched and i can't remember which one but he recently watched a john wayne movie and he loved it but he was like but we can't show it because john wayne's a monster and i'm like yeah i don't (laughs) think that would fly it's hard to say, like, I get you could probably show Stagecoach or something like that. There's a few that you might be able or like The Searchers. I mean, I know we've shown that a couple of times over the years. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't be my first choice, I guess, but we're running out of people who are monsters. Yeah, Every, everyone's a monster. <laughs> Don't you tell me Treat Williams is a bad guy. Never. I won't be able to deal with I it. I just watched another Treat Williams movie. Oh, please tell. Prince of the City. Ah, all right. Sidney Lumet directed it and Mm. he plays a nypd it's kind of sort of based on a true story or it is based on a true story of this narcotics detective who basically starts informing on the force to the fbi and internal affairs yeah i hope you would say internal affairs it's basically just his unraveling because at first he doesn't really want to do it but he feels so much guilt because he is kind of corrupt and he's taken payoffs and stuff and he's like okay i'll tell you guys what i know but i'm not gonna rat on my partners and Sure enough, he does have to start doing that. So it's this long. <laughs> all right, I'll rattle my partners, but I'm definitely not going to tell <laughs> yeah. you who's behind all this. It's like, okay, I'll tell you who's behind all this. He's going. I got to watch that. I love Sidney Lumet. And I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's sort of uh, Treat Williams in Pacino territory. Man, he's not there enough, I'll tell you. Yeah. I like that we've honestly segued into talking about Treat Williams again without plan. It was an accident. I should have said, normally I would have said, I hope I don't find out Nick Cage is a monster, but I know he never could be. Never. So I I don't have to bring that up. (laughs) Is Cindy Lumet the greatest? By the way, Treat Williams is on Twitter. We should start following him. Oh, we should. We can get him on. Oh, boy. How have we not been tagging him? He doesn't seem like a monster at all. He seems like the nicest man. I hope that's true. I'm 100% going to start tagging him, and the next thing you know, we'll have him on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He's a pilot. A lot of his tweets are like him, like, yeah, here's my view from my office. And it's... Jeez, isn't Cage a pilot too? I thought Cage... Maybe I'm just wishing that that's true. Travolta is. I know, right? So basically Cage is then, is what you're telling me. (laughs) He's played a pilot in that Left Behind movie. Oh, yeah, that was... Boy, (laughs) I I never walk out of a movie, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not good. I'm totally going to tag Treat on this one and say, like, once again, we talk about Treat Williams and... (laughs) He's going to become our new best friend. I hope our listeners are, I don't know if enjoying is the right word, but I hope they're tolerating (laughs) this influx of treat business. I haven't heard any complaints. Nobody's been like, why are you talking about Treat Williams again? (laughs) Who is this guy? I saw a tweet about Deep Rising yesterday and I got actually excited and I was like, I got to tell Andrew. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Well, that's a classic. Yeah, you can't argue with that. I mean, that's basically. I guess the next one I got to watch is Hair because he's in Hair. Oh, yeah. Jeez, man. Like the original. He has really long hair. 
Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that was like, that was a big breakthrough for him. And then he was in 1941, which didn't go so well. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, like that was going to be, imagine if 1941 had been like as big as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh my God. It's amazing how a career can change. And he's had a fine career, but it's amazing when you think of like just little points like that. Like what if Raiders had flopped? Stranger things have happened. We wouldn't have had that big Harrison Ford push. Like it's, it's strange to think how an actor can really pivot a career just on one job did you know that deep rising was written for harrison ford whoa, oh, whoa. interesting but of course it's like i'm not doing that movie so they get treat williams and you can tell watching treat williams in the movie with you know his character and everything it's like yeah this this seems sort of harrison fordy yeah that's weird to picture like even because i'm trying to think of the timeline would that have been around air force one or a bit before yeah, or six days, seven nights. Mm, yeah, that's... That's when Harrison was making the poor decision to be like, I don't want to be the world's biggest action movie star anymore. Because he had that run of Patriot Games, Air Force One, all those kind of movies. <laughs> Regarding Henry, like, oh no, wait. <laughs> and then it was like, then he started doing... Written by J.J. Abrams, by the way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jeez, I forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> My favorite thing for that kind of story of alternate universe casting is that... In an alternate universe, Ghostbusters would have been Belushi and Aykroyd, Michael Keaton as Egon, and Eddie Murphy as Winston. Uh. So imagine that alternate universe, but then Belushi died, so Bill Murray came in. Eddie Murphy became too superstar famous. They got awesome character actor Ernie Hudson. Then Harold Ramis wrote it with Dan Aykroyd, so he ended up coming into acting it as well. But in an alternate universe... I want to see, I love Ghostbusters, but I want to see that other Ghostbusters movie. Wow. Yeah, that would have been quite an ensemble. Imagine if, regarding Henry, that would be a good Han Solo movie. Yeah. <laughs> regarding Han. Yeah, I'd watch that. Greedo uh, comes back from the dead and shoots Han Solo, and he becomes disabled, and he's got to learn how to walk and talk again. <laughs> so he shoots last, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd watch. I definitely haven't. I remember watching Regarding Henry as a kid whenever it came out. Yeah. And I don't remember much about it at all, just that I saw it. That was a very, like, my mom kind of movie, you know? So was, I'm not surprised we watched it. So I'm just scrolling through Sidney Lumet because I was going to go back to that and say that I think he's the most talented, underrated director of all time, maybe. People don't know him in the same breath as Scorsese or Coppola or Spielberg, but he's just got this amazing resume. So I'm just kind of looking through the early part of his resume. This is going to blow your mind. In 1972, he directed a movie called Child's Play. Oh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think with James Mason. I'm disappointed that it's not with a talking doll. But still, I mean, maybe that was what they based the real Child's Play off of. Well, it's about... <laughs> he was a big Lumet fan. It's about a feud in an exclusive boys' school. So that could have a Chucky in it. I'd be interested. I'm just glad you're getting to finish your Lumet thought after we cut you off like five minutes ago. How dare you? I thought you'd never get through this. Serpico, Murder on the Orient Express, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, The Whiz, mm. Prince of the City. The Whiz. Death Trap, which I love. I love the movie Death Trap. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's You don't hear anyone talk about that one. No, that's where like Michael Caine and Chris Reeve in this clearly based on a play. Like most, I think all the movie takes place inside this cottage house and it's just this really great double-crossing mystery film from 1982. I got to see it live here in Ottawa, actually. Ottawa Little Theatre put on a production of it, and yeah, I really like that movie. But yeah, Sidney Lumet, and like all the way through, then like 
near the end of his career in the 2000s, his last film was Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which was amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with Ethan Hawke and the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then Vin Diesel was trying to be a real actor, and <laughs> Sidney Mlet's second last film was called Find Me Guilty, and it was a, Afraid. a lawyer drama. And I remember really liking that as well. I remember seeing that in all the $5 bins yeah. after Fast and Furious blew up. The cover just sucks. You can tell they were just trying to pump something out there. But I, I never did see the movie. I just kind of assumed it was bad. I think that crosses over with Vin, because early on he was in, say, Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I forget the exact thing, but he got a lot of notice because he did a short film that he directed and starred in. So he had some dramatic cred and then he was in fast and furious riddick and triple x and those were all big enough to all garner sequels and stuff bloodshot well that's years later yeah (laughs) but those early ones he did those three and then he was like i'm walking away from all this and he wasn't in one of the fast and furious movies or a couple of fast and furious movies he got replaced in triple x by ice cube then he did a bunch of other stuff and then went uh maybe i'll go back to that thing that makes me a million dollars yeah, and then just really never do anything else, basically. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right. Like, Bloodshot was the last new idea he did, a comic book movie. But it's strange. That didn't do well, seemingly. But then I read this really interesting article that it did well enough to get a sequel greenlit in this weird world of a little bit of box office money, a little bit of streaming money, a little bit of video-on-demand money, a little bit of Blu-ray money, and it's got a sequel coming out. So it's weird. To get back to Lumet, it's weird that he did 12 Angry Men in 57 and then didn't really kind of have his other blow-ups till like 20 years later. Yeah. With Serpico and Murder on the Orient Red, all that stuff. Like, it's kind of funny. Oh, and The Offense with Sean Connery is really good, too. Yeah, and he did The Verdict with Paul Newman, which is really good. Yeah, it's just crazy. You don't usually see a, a gap like that, like having such a like a huge movie that early on. And then you're like, oh, yeah. And then in the 70s, he went back to like, I'm sure he still worked. He obviously worked steadily and did good stuff, but it seems like a lot of TV in between. Yeah, and he did a show, if this is the right one I'm thinking of, called 100 Center Street. It, it was like a cop show, a cop drama. It got a lot of publicity at the time because it shot digital it was one of the first shows to hop over to digital and they made a big deal about how it was easier to shoot and it's cheaper and it looked just as good so i always remember that in my head is that he as this veteran director embraced the new technology pretty early and that never went anywhere no no one uses that anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh my god even though it's technically tv related i wanted to give a wild shout out to they announced a better call saul spinoff oh i didn't realize that which itself was a spinoff. The reason I, I had to point it out because it's too crazy. So it's called Slip and Jimmy, and it's basically a prequel to, you know, when he, he was uh, kind of a bad dude, I guess. But the thing that's wild is it's animated in the style of Fat Albert, and it's taking its cues from Buster Keaton and After Hours. What? Yeah. I, I don't understand. And this is real. This is real. I'm just like, that's the craziest and coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, I, I, I assume Michael McKean's going to do the, his voice role as well as the brother. But like, what? Like, what? Because <laughs> when you said it was going to be another prequel, I was going to laugh and be like, well, you've already got Bob Odenkirk playing younger than in Breaking Bad. So now are you going to mm. have him playing younger than in Better Call Saul, even though it's now like 15 years later or whatever? Yeah, it's so, and it's, I think it's AMC doing it, who aren't really known for animation, to my knowledge. That's really weird. I don't know. I just thought that was so crazy. I know it's TV, but I was we love Bob Odenkirk and, and Michael McKean, of course. Oh, yeah. 
I am there day one, but what a weird, who came up with that idea? Bob Odenkirk has, I think it's out now. It was a movie. It looked kind of like a action packed falling down kind of movie come out. Yeah. Like John Wicky kind of. Yeah. Oh, uh, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. I was really hoping yeah. to get that, but I think we lost it in the shuffle of being open and closed so frequently the last little while. Yeah, it just, just, just came out on Friday, I think. Yeah. Like, everyone's talking about it now, but yeah, I'm pretty stoked about that for obvious reasons. But yeah, we're back into that. Hopefully, we'll be back soon, but we're going to miss the Oscars for the same reason that we're not doing The Room or Rocky Horror, just because our Oscar parties were always genuinely packed, sold out, turning away people at the door. On top of that, there was a lot of interaction. There was a hosting capacity. There was fashion show. There was a lot of people walking in and out for smoke breaks during the commercials, all that kind of stuff. So pretty hard to wrangle during these times. It's another thing to look forward to for 2022. That's kind of our our shining star on the hill now is that we survived 2021. We just barely get through. Then 2022, we can get back to screening stuff normally, hopefully, and everything comes back. So Saturday morning cartoons, The Room, Rocky Horror, The Oscars, silent films. The Treat Williams Film Festival. The Treat Williams Film Festival. We got to screen something with Treat Williams now. I know. Kim and Cage are still alive, so at, at the very least, there's still a chance that the two of them can collab on something. I mean, that seems to be what we're building towards, I think. He's in Once Upon a Time in America. Are they both in it? No. I don't <laughs> think they've ever done a film together. Okay, I didn't think... I got really excited for a second there, because I was like, oh, if anybody knows about a project like this, it's Andrew. But uh, no, I think we're still good. Treat Williams is due for a Quentin Tarantino supporting role. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. I would, I'd say so. Something like Luke Perry in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something like that. Actually, Nick Cage's as well. Nick Cage would work really well in one of those kind of things. Nick Cage should do a reboot of The Substitute. Oh, I'm in. Green light. <laughs> oh, man. Or at least, like, yeah, is it a reboot or is it a part five? Part five, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we need now. Or it's a prequel, maybe? Like, he was the original substitute that died or something? Or just a new, not part of the substitute canon, just a new a new substitute. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Or, or like, the substitute presents. Yeah, the substitute presents the substitute. Wait, so like, wait a minute. Titanic 2, Titanic. You're like, what? Except no substitutes. Just call it that. Oh, there you go. He's already got the tagline? Like, geez. <laughs> Have you written the screenplay? Or... What would his name be? What would his name, like, he always has goofy names in his movies. Yeah, it would be like John Substitute or something. <laughs> like, like, wow, it's actually his name. <laughs> and we're missing a Nick Cage movie right now because we're supposed to be playing Wild at Heart. So we'll have to, I don't know what's available. Yeah. I wonder if we can play, so funny, it makes us all feel old, but Face Off is old enough to be a retro movie now. Yeah. Oh, man, funny you bring that up because they've said, we already talked about the sequel that they're working on right now. But the people doing the sequel have confirmed that they've written it for Cage and Travolta to come back. Oh, man. So they're not saying they've signed on, but I'm like, why would you not? Frankly, it's for both of them, Travolta especially. I mean, come on. Well, we're in this age of Harrison Ford's doing another Indiana Jones. Everybody came back for the Star Warses. Bruce Campbell did the Army of Darkness TV show. So there's frequent examples of the old timers coming back to those roles now. Yeah, I really like it. I mean, I kind of like the weird, not quite reboots, you know, like the bathed in nostalgia, new versions of things. I'm kind of loving it, like especially when it works, you know, like uh, the new Halloween or something like that. Oh, God, yeah. So they're trying to do that with Texas Chainsaw, right? The next one's a direct sequel to the original, which the last one also was. But this time they'll get it right. When it's done right, I thought Creed and Creed 2 were very good. 
Oh, yeah. The last Rambo movie, not so good. I don't know. But... No, God, no. <laughs> so it doesn't work all the time, but it works sometimes. As long as it works once. I'm willing to take 10 or 12 junkers as long as we can get one solid one eventually. Yeah, I answered a question recently randomly on a podcast. Somebody asked what my favorite Rocky movie was. And I said, I'm not even trying to be difficult, but I think my favorite Rocky movies are Creed and Creed 2. Yeah, Creed is definitely my favorite Rocky movie for sure. I just thought that Dolph Lundgren was so good in Creed 2. He really blew me away. He is really good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's not even a, it's not a slight on the Rocky movies to not say that Creed is the best one. Like it's just... They're doing a Creed 3, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, why not? I hope Mr. T's in it. <laughs> That'd be great. And I think Sly, he's doing a director's cut of Rocky Four. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, even though we were talking about it a month <laughs> ago. That's, that's how we deal with things now. I'm, but it's nice. <laughs> that's what happens when you're on lockdown, I guess. Yeah, it just seems like a nice surprise, though, when you do remember. You're like, oh, sweet, we still got that coming. Like Kong Godzilla, it's getting, like, the early reviews are really stellar. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's actually going to be. Oh, I hope we get that. Like, I know we can't, we're not open right now, and it's the worst time to think about that. But, I mean, I think all we want is a good movie at the end of the day, even though we want it to be at the Mayfair. We just want it to be good, period. So. Okay, so we just got our, we're going to get kicked off the internet soon warning. So I will quickly wrap this up and say thanks for listening, everybody. Please just pay attention to our social media. As we have news to share, we will share it. And we hope to have you back into the Mayfair as soon as we can to show you some awesome movies. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. I really hope we get that prequel to Deep Rising that I've been pining for. Oh, God, that'd be awesome. There's still time. Hashtag Treat Williams Mayfair. <laughs> we did it. Yay. All right. And I'm stopping recording. It's you guys starting with assistant DAs who run the whole thing. While we're up in our barrio on 125th Street. Well, you're just out to hurt us. You want to lay the whole system on us. But nobody cares about me but my partner. It's me and him and whatever guy we catch. And we're going to put him in jail and we're going to take his money. I know what you guys think of us, but we're the only thing between you and the jungle. His name is Detective Danny Cello. We make cases, they'll be big ones. You'll be the state star witness. He sees life as we will never see it. If I decide to do this thing, I will not give up my partners. He is Prince of the City. Detective Daniel Cello, Special Investigating Unit, Narcotics Division, Your Honor. <laughs> Is it common practice to sell narcotics in the narcotics division? We're not dope dealers, we're policemen. He's seen too much. Was Moscone a partner? He's a friend. He's federal level. I want him. <laughs> he knows too much. Your people are out to get you worse than anybody on our side. <laughs> he said too much. In their hearts, they want to admit their guilt. That's the way cops are. That's how you got here. He's gone too far to stop. Wait a minute, I'm a cop! Come on up! Treat Williams is Prince of the City.